I want to welcome everyone uh, listening to us on our, on our podcast today. Uh, when you're uh, marooned in Malta, you kind of read the story a bit. And I've been reading about Paul, uh, who, of course, didn't really have any kind of airline and couldn't hire a car from Rome, uh, being stranded on the, on the island. And the more I read it, the more I sort of saw some things, and I thought I'd just have a bit of fun with you today. And we would uh, we'd talk about Paul's time on Malta. And quite a bit in me didn't want to really preach this today, because I thought, well, it's a bit too topical, you know, a bit too, a bit too novelty. But I couldn't really get away from it. And so let's see if God will bless us uh, as we look at this. Acts 28 and let's read the first ten verses, which is the, the post-shipwreck story. And uh, may the Lord bless us as we, uh, as we read. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. These guys, 276 of them, had just come out of the water as well. And it would have been about November, late October, November time, and so uh, it wouldn't have been like a Mediterranean hot island at all at that time. Verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw that the snake hanging, when they saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Amen. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came, and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Okay. Just very quickly today, what are some of the things, just from this very simple ten verse passage, that we can learn, really, just about our, our Christian lives? The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and useful to us. And so a passage like this is also useful to us. To think about how did Paul conduct himself and how did the people respond? What can we learn? 
from this trip. First of all, let me bring this up here. We, we learn that we must always keep a good spirit and a good servant spirit. When we first meet Paul in the story, in the story of Malta, he is collecting wood, right? He's collecting wood. And goodness knows the size of the bonfire they had to build there because there were 276 of them. And so I don't know if you've ever been down to one of the Cambridge Greens where they have, you know, fireworks and they have a great bonfire, bonfire night, November 5th, Guy Fawkes Day and whatever. And it's a huge, great big bonfire. Remember at school having these great, enormous bonfires. And so that's the kind of fire we're talking about. Not a little fire you might have while you're eating fish. It's a big, big fire. And we meet Paul gathering sticks. That's why he gets into trouble with the snake in a minute. Because he's, he's gone out to gather the sticks for the fire. Now, if you just were to go back into the previous chapter, Paul had become almost the captain of the vessel. God has a way of promoting people who, who are you know, walking before him. And, and Paul had really become in charge of the boat telling people what to do, even though he was a prisoner on board. But one of the things we learn here is that whoever you are, you're always going to be a log carrier. You're always going, in God's eyes, going to be required to be a servant. To be a servant. When those men came onto that beach, I tell you, they were shattered. They'd been through days and days of, of, of uh, distress. They tried to escape. They were fearful for their lives. And maybe some of them are just like, you know, lying on the sand, thinking, well, we made it, we made it. But the Apostle Paul knew that there were things to do. And here was a man, I don't know how well you know Paul's background, but he was not, not an aristocrat, but, you know, he was trained under the feet of um, Gamaliel, one of the great rabbis of Israel. He was a Pharisee. Did you know that? Uh, when Jesus has fights with the Pharisees, verbal fights in the Gospels, they had the authority. They were, you know, prim and proper. They uh, were the leading people. And Paul describes himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, he was a real, proper Pharisee, dignified guy. But you know what? When Paul saw a job needed doing, he did it. He did it. And you know, whatever God requires of you, wherever he's going to take you, whatever role you're going to play in the kingdom of God, the main thing you need to be, and I need to be, is a servant. You can be a gifted prophet. You can have uh, all manner of spiritual gifts. You can be a great orator. You can be a great musician. But, uh, the, but And a whole host of other jobs, of course, that are part of church life and part of the kingdom life. But, but, but we're all required to be servants. Can you say amen? Servants. Even the Lord Jesus, shortly before he went to the cross, said, I'm going to demonstrate now 
how you should live among one another, and he washed the feet of the disciples. You know, there are churches, aren't there, where they wash one another's feet. I've never really been into that kind of thing, uh, because, as I've said before, if we were going to have a foot washing service tonight, I know exactly what you'd be doing in the bathroom half an hour before you came. You'd be making sure that you were snipping all the hairs off your feet and you're doing them up, you know, and get, I'm, I can only speak for myself, of course, uh, that you'd be, you know, cleaning them up. I, I would imagine if people come to a foot washing service, they come with the cleanest feet in Cambridge before they get washed. And uh, maybe that's not the case, but that is how it would be with me. So we're not, I, I'm not suggesting today we all wash one another's feet, but God always requires us to be servant-hearted. And uh, I, I just love it when people just get on with things. There's no sense of wanting to be applauded, no sense of wanting to be thanked. I mean, today, earlier, we were thanked, but that's, that's not what it's about at all, is it? It's because the person who sees us is the one in heaven, and he's the one who's going to reward us, and he's the one who's placed the spirit of a servant inside our hearts. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. God will always require us to be log carriers. I don't know if you know what a a log carrier is. In the early days of the theatre, particularly in Shakespearean plays, you would have the character known as the spear carrier. And really, he had no lines, he just stood at the back in some of the posh Hamlet scenes or or Macbeth, or whatever it was, uh, or Henry V, and he just stood with a spear. He didn't have a main part in the the production. He was an extra, a supporting artiste. And uh, I I had an email the other day, by the way, asking me, did I want to be an extra in a movie? Woohoo! I did, really. I had to be at St. Neots at 5 o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden I thought, nah. But if you want to be an extra, you just stay with me. I'll forward those emails on to you. But, you know. <laughs> but that, the whole thing about being at the back, holding a spear. Uh, on the internet, I listen to a, a, a kind of a radio show. comes out every week from, from uh, America. And the guys uh, who do the radio show, they are, they are fanatical about the American TV show Lost. And all they want to be is in Lost. And it's all about being marooned on a desert island. I think we know something about this, lovey. And uh, I I do. Boy, I've got so many episodes to watch now we're back. But, uh, but they, but they email, they're always emailing the, the, the uh, studio and they keep saying, please, can I just be in it? I just want to be a log carrier. I'll just be at the back carrying logs. I don't want a main part. I just want to carry logs. You know, in the kingdom of God, there's always going to be a place for you and me to be log carriers. The Apostle Paul had many gifts. Great prophetic insight. Great abilities to cure the sick, as we're going to see. But in that particular moment, it wasn't a prophecy that they needed. It was heat. And uh, I encourage you in your Christian life, just aim to be useful 
And God will do amazing things with your life. Amazing things with your life. Just think, I want to be useful. And I will give myself to being useful. Don't think, I want to do this, this and this. Just think, Lord, whatever needs doing, I'll be useful. I'll be useful. And you'll see what God will, will do with your life. So Paul, the great Pharisee, was collecting wood. Secondly, we should expect to be bitten occasionally. You would think, wouldn't you? <laughs> this poor man, he'd been in prison, battered around a night and a day in the deep, on a, on a, on a ship, you know. And uh, at what point would you have thought, Lord, am I really doing your will? At what point would you have thought that? Uh, uh, when you were, uh, you know, naked, or, or when you didn't have enough food, or when you were hanging onto a plank uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, at what point would you have thought, was this really why I came to the altar and said, Lord, have your way? As you were bobbing around, thinking that you were an inch away from death all the time. At what point would you have thought that? And then, to cap it all, he survives... The shipwreck walks onto the island. Oh, it's marvellous. And gets bitten by a snake. Because he was trying to be good. Sometimes by being good costs us a lot. Can you say amen? Some people get a bit confused about that. They think, well, Lord, I was serving you. Why is it that... Because I was doing what was right. But sometimes doing what's right... Is actually hugely expensive. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? amen? It's hugely expensive. You do what's right. And sometimes you have to suffer for it. I've taken a, a few evangelists to task as they preach to people, God's got a great plan for you and a breakthrough and all this. And actually, while those things I believe are true, actually many times by doing the right thing, we end up in trouble. That's why Peter, at the, during the Easter story, decided to back away from Jesus because by doing the right thing, which was standing up for him, would have, would have got him into trouble. And so he backed away. I don't know the man. No, sometimes by doing right, it's, it's actually costly for us. But here, the apostle is bitten by a viper. <laughs> that thing hanging off him. Does he say it's on his hand or on his arm? I forget, I forget where it is. But anyway, it's, it's, it's attached to him. Fastened itself on his hand. Verse 3. Oh my, it's, it's a snake hanging off my hand. But he just shook it off, didn't he? Into the fire. Maybe he was aware of the words of Jesus. You will pick up deadly snakes. And if you drink any poison, it shall not hurt you. Hallelujah. But don't be surprised if there's a snake that sometimes appears in your life. I put here in my notes, if Eden had a snake, if Eden, the most beautiful paradise place that ever existed so far, well, that other than the air malta departure lounge the other day. 
that was a bit like Eden. Especially when we found we had loads of euros left and all we could buy was chocolate. If Eden had a snake, don't you think you're going to have a snake? Don't you think from time to time, if the most beautiful paradise on earth had a snake in it, don't you think that sometimes you might get bitten as well? But it didn't bother Paul. He didn't think what's gone wrong with the plan of God. Now sometimes to do the right thing costs us. The good news is that when we are in that wonderful plan of God, no matter what happens, no weapon fashioned against us shall prosper. And he shook that thing off. But it doesn't mean it didn't bite him. It doesn't mean that he didn't sit down later that day with Dr. Luke and say, have you got any ibuprofen for this? It doesn't mean that he didn't sit down with Luke and Luke didn't put a bandage on it. The New Testament is not a book of science fiction where magic happens. And you can, you can be fairly sure that there would have been a mark on Paul's hand maybe for the rest of his life. The thing is that it didn't do him any permanent harm. And I want to encourage you with the, the snakes. And I'm not talking about, it's not a symbol of demons. I'm just talking about when People offend you, people hurt you, things go wrong, tragedies occur. Those things, if you walk with God, they will not destroy you. Jane and I have had the most humbling of weeks. The last week has been so utterly humbling. And I'm going to try and say something about it, but I'm fearful of being too moved. We've been in the home of a precious missionary couple who have given their lives 20 years, I think, serving in Malta, trying to reach out to, to people. And he himself is terribly ill. And then last November, their son was just playing around, 15 years old, 16 years old, playing around, you know, playing hide-and-seek and having a laugh, and he jumped over a wall thinking it was just a little thing. And he fell seven stories and was killed. Was killed. And, and as we went to meet them, you're thinking to yourself, aren't you, what, how are they going to be? Because I'm thinking if, that, if, if my son died last November, how would I be today? How, how will I be? Have we found in them the most incredible grace of God. They spoke about their son every day uh, in, a, in an edifying way. They showed us the news reports of his death that was in the paper. And after I read it, and please forgive me if you think this is wrong, I'm just telling you the truth. I didn't feel sad. I felt built up because the grace of God was all over their lives. When you build your life on the rock, the, Jesus said, when the storm comes. So storms are always coming. 
There's no force field of God that protects us from every storm. The storms do come. But those who build their life on the rock, they do not fall. Amen. Amen. And we saw in this, I have never met any, anyone like this. I've never met anyone like this in my life. And I know there are tens of thousands of people like this who have received the grace of God for themselves and are living in it. There are snakes in this world. There are things that do go wrong. We do get bitten. We are left with scars. Pressed down, but not destroyed. Amen. Let me move on. So in our lives, we should always be servants. Number two, we should not be too surprised if sometimes we get bitten. Number three, we need to lose the need to have the approval of people. I, I don't know whether you notice, this is almost like a comedy, this passage. Because as Paul is bitten, the people go, ooh, this was their strange theology. Something's gone wrong, therefore he must be being punished. And by the way, there are countless charismatic Christians that still have that wrong theology. If something has gone wrong, it must mean God is punishing me for something. That's not the God of the Bible. Amen. That's not the God of the Bible. But this was the theology that the islanders had. He's been bitten by a snake. He must be a murderer. Look, he swam to shore. And now he's arrived. And now he's been bitten. He's going to swell up. He's going to die. And they go, ooh, he's a murderer. Justice has not allowed him to live. In your Bible, did the word justice have a capital letter? Yeah, it's because they're talking about the Greek goddess justice. They don't mean justice as a, as a concept. They mean the, uh, they mean the Greek god justice, a, a goddess actually, a lady god. It was a lady god that wanted to bite Paul's hand in their thinking, okay. So justice has not allowed him to live. And then they're watching him. I mean, they were so concerned, weren't they? They don't phone the doctor. They're just watching him. When's he going to die? Have you, have you got the camera? He could go any time. Oh, look. He's looking a bit ill. Get the camera. He's going to die. They're watching him. He's going to die any time. And then he doesn't die. And then what do they say? Ooh. He's not going to die. He's not a murderer. He must be a god. Get the camera. He's a god. He's a god. First they thought he was the devil, and then they thought he was God. Amazing. But you know what? Neither of those opinions were right. And neither of those opinions touched the Apostle Paul. If you're going to live a successful life, marooned here on planet Earth for a little while, three score years and ten, and maybe a bit more, if you're going to live a successful life on planet Earth, whatever you do, do not be shaped by the opinions of other people. Can you say amen? amen. Don't do that. When the Apostle Paul was told, you're a murderer, he didn't think he was a murderer. And when they told him he was a god, he didn't think that either. 
The same thing happens in Acts 14, where there's a riot uh, because they don't like what he's preaching, and then there are miracles, and then they think he's Zeus and Jupiter. And it, 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 it happened more than once in Paul's life, where he went from being a villain to being deified. Deified means we think you're divine, we think you're God. Listen, don't let people tell you who you are. Let God tell you who you are. Can you say amen? amen. Let God tell you who you are. Some people let the enemy tell them who they are. Some people let their mother or their father tell them who they are. Some people let their brother tell them who they are. And some people let their friends tell them who they are, whether they are good or whether they are bad. But there's only one person's opinion that's important. The Almighty God. The Almighty God. Don't let others write your about me. Do you know what your about me is? It's right. It's your web page where you're told, right, right here, something about you. You think, well, what do I put? I thought of typing, the most humble man who ever lived. It worked for Moses. Or, I, oh, what should I put about me? And I always don't like to do that. You know, what's my favorite TV show? What's my weight? Oh, I, I never put that. Anyway, uh, how tall am I? You know, all these sort of things. I, I want you to imagine. Just come with me a minute. I want you to imagine that I broke in to one of your web pages, your Facebook page, your blog, whatever it is you've got. And I'm aware some may not have any of these things. But just for a moment, imagine I break into your blog or your Facebook page or your MySpace and I go into the details that says all the things about you. And what I do is I break into it and I, change, I keep all the photographs the same, but I change all the details. I put in what your favorite show is. I put in how heavy you are. I put in, I take a wild guess, you know, probably quite wrong. But I change everything. It says your favorite color is green. I say, no, it's blue. Uh, you, you say that you were born in the United States. I put, no, you were born in Europe. And I change all your details. Save. You imagine that. And you go to your pasting. What is happening here? I think you'd be a bit distressed if someone did that. But here's the truth. This is going on all the time in our minds. People rewrite who we are. It's the opinions of people that we respond to so very often. Sure, they don't change uh, whether or not you came from the States or whether you came from Europe. Sure, they don't tell you your favorite color is green when it's really blue. But it's sometimes we can be so moved by what people, what do people think about me? Do people like my haircut today? Do people like these shoes? Do people like the way I talk? And we change ourselves, can you say amen? We change ourselves to be popular with people. God's only looking for you to be popular with Him. And only Him. I tell you, if you're going to live a Christian life, you're going to upset lots of people. They ain't going to like what you've got to say. They ain't going to like... Now, that doesn't mean we are 
weird. That doesn't mean that we come into work and are all spooky. You're sitting there on reception. Oh, let me, I, I, I want to take this call, but I've just got to spake in other tongues for ten minutes. That's weird. Do not be slain in the spirit in McDonald's. Particularly if you're serving the fries. No, I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being Bible-bashing, ramming, throat, Bible... Oh, I got that sentence wrong, but you know what I mean. But we're not going to be popular with everyone, are we? Are, Are we? And we want to be, but we can't be. And the Apostle Paul, he was not impressed when people thought that he was wonderful. And he was not impressed when people thought he was awful. And he was not distressed when they thought he was awful. I tell you, you write your own about me. And you let God tell you who you are. And where you're going to find that information out, you're going to find it out in the Bible. There's a wonderful moment where Jesus goes into the synagogue at Nazareth, he unravels the scroll, and he reads in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord. He's reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me to open the eyes of the blind, to bring recovery of sight. He has anointed me to bring freedom to the captives. And in that very moment, he was reading about himself. He found himself in the Word. And you must do the same. You must find out who you are in here. Not not from Oprah. But in here. It's not what your mother says. It's not what your dad says. It's what your father says. And your father says you're the head and not the tail. Your father says that you are more than a conqueror through him who has loved you. Your father says no weapon formed against you shall prevail. Your father says if God be for us, who can be against us? That's what God says. Your father says walk before me and be thou perfect. Oh, I'm not sure we like that one. Your father says God commands everyone everywhere to repent. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. But these are all the things that God is saying about our lives. Paul wasn't, he didn't like being worshipped. I remember very early on in the healing ministry, Phil and I were in a church not far from here. And in that service we were terrified. I was more terrified than him. And in that service, so many were cured, instantly cured, all over the place. And right at the end, this is the end of 2005, and right at the end, a group of people gathered around us. I didn't like it. I said to Phil in the car later, I said, I feel like we're being honoured too much. And I said, we need to go now. And we left that crowd of people all amazed at these miracles, we got in the car, we drove away. Because only God must get the glory. So don't you worry what people say about you. 
All that matters is what God is saying about you. And by the way, that works the other way because your friend can tell you it's okay to sin and God can tell you, no, it's not. Amen? So when we say the opinions of others, sometimes the opinions of others are not God's opinions and they tell us things we want to hear. The Bible says in the last days the people will gather around them, teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. You listen to God. You walk before Him and be thou blameless. Okay. Number four. Make some ripples in life for God. It's amazing that when Paul arrives at the island, by the way, what is this? You know, it's a certain colour, isn't it? Oh, I'm all right. You're waiting now, aren't you? He's going to die. He hasn't died. He must be a god. It's actually delicious. Thank, thank God whoever did that. What's that preaching about? Paul goes and there's Publius and his father's not well. Do you know, Paul could not possibly have known that a great revival was a few minutes away. He couldn't possibly have known it. There was a man sick with dysentery, fever. And uh, I'm in verse uh, 8. And so Paul prays because he knows he's not Jesus. He prays, God, please heal him. And then he goes and lays hands on him and he's, he's healed. But it was a key miracle because he was related to the chief of the island. He was related to the chief of the island. And when you heal, or when you see someone who's related to someone... Uh, who has authority and influence, get touched. They can spread that message all over the place, can't they? So this precious man is healed. And you know, it's kind of a... Listen, if you've got fever and dysentery, you want healing. You really do. But he was not blind, or he was not... He'd not been lame, lying at a gate in Jerusalem for all his life. He had a problem that may have in time uh, been cured naturally. If you see, he may have come out of that problem all by himself. Who knows? But it was kind of, and you know, like I say, if you have dysentery, you want to get cured. But it was kind of a minor miracle, really, compared to the blind and the dead coming back and people leaping up who can't walk. And yet created a ripple that went all across the island of Malta. Because when he was healed, in the next verse, it says that everyone on the island came for healing. Verse 9. The rest of the sick on the island. It doesn't mean the rest of the sick 
in that vicinity, but everyone who was here on the island decides to come to this place, whether it was Emdina, which is an area of Malta, they think this may have happened. But all these people came and God healed them. And the, when it seems like, it seems like he healed all of them. The Maltese Medical Hospital closed down that day because everyone, everyone was healed. Sometimes we have to be happy just to be a link in the chain. Sometimes if you do this one thing, it may seem small, but the ripple can be enormous. How many times have we been discouraged? Let's be honest. Because we tried to share our faith or we tried to do something nice for someone, but we didn't seem to see any result. Put your hand up if that's happened to you. You, t- you tried to do something, didn't really seem to produce. But the, but the beautiful thing is, at the end of the day, only God knows what the result is. And God initiated there a ripple that went across the whole of the island. We're all part of a big team. We're all part of a great, a great partnership with others. You may share your faith, but it may be someone else ten years later that gets them to church and baptizes them in the water. And it may look like it was all down to them, but you played your part, right? You may be the one who gave your offering into such a, such a thing. And you may not see the benefit of it, but the future sees the benefit of it. Because we're all part of a team. I tell you, God is still healing people in Malta today. A couple of Sundays ago, I was speaking in this this, uh, uh, church there. And there was a lady, she presented herself to me at the front. She had a growth right on the bottom of, of her neck here, like this. And she said it was painful... And it was cosmetically displeasing. And I'd been telling some stories in the church about how God had removed growth from people in Brazil. And suddenly this lady presents herself to me. Okay. Think, well, maybe I shot my mouth off here. Do you know, within five minutes it was gone. Gone! (laughs) Hallelujah to God. It's gone. She started jumping up and down. They do that in Malta. They jump up and down when they're healed. She said, it's gone. And her friend came and the skin was even, she said. There was no growth there. It took about five minutes, but it was gone. Another man who had, he was an elder, I found out later, probably on his, his knee. And suddenly God touched him. He started running up and down the church. God is doing amazing things all over the world. Who knows what he's going to do in here in a few minutes' time. Sometimes we have to be happy to be a link in a chain. Paul was an incredible link in a great chain of revival. Well, time has gone. Let me just finish with this. 
Finally, we need to look to exceed our own limits. What do I mean by that? Well, there were two of them, were there not, on this island as part of the apostolic group. There was Paul and there was Luke. Luke was in the middle of writing a great book that was destined to become an international bestseller for thousands of years. The Gospel of Luke. Luke and Paul were together. If you read it, you'll see that many times the phrase we is used. Look in verse 1. We found out the island. So Luke is with him, you see. They are together. Now, do you know what Luke is? He's a doctor. He's a writer. He's a historian. He's a clever guy. But one thing he's not. He's not a healing evangelist. Paul is a healing evangelist. But do you know what happens? It's Paul who goes in to Publius's father's house and he does the praying. Luke's doing the writing. But you tell me this, and with this I finish. What do you think happened when the whole island came? I tell you what happened. Luke verse 9, would have had to have put down his pen and he would have suddenly been plunged into a healing and miracle ministry that he'd not experienced before. Luke may have felt his limits. Well, well, I'm the writer. I just take the pictures. You do the stuff. I'll just watch from here. But suddenly... There was such a great need that Luke has to say, you know what, I better get in there. And as Luke puts his hands on the sick, they start to be cured as well. Oh, for a day when the Spirit of God would move so powerfully that everyone listening to me now would grab hold of the healing anointing of God and get on with the job. Not just a few people doing it, but everyone doing it, exceeding the limitations that, of course, God has not given, but we give ourselves. You may say, well, being bold or being evangelist sharing my faith or prophesying or whatever it may that's not for me. I, I don't do that. That's for them. But you know what? Who knows what God has got in store for you? Don't create these, these limitations. Don't create these boxes. Because God might just want to bust you right out of it. Like he did with this precious man. So a few thoughts about how we should conduct ourselves marooned here on planet Earth. Always be a servant. Always be a servant. Always be a log carrier. Always make yourself useful to the Master. And useful to the church in that that regard. Number two, don't worry if you're bitten occasionally. Don't you know that the snake bit his hand, but within 
within a short space of time, his hand brought revival to the island. Paul placed his hands on him. Which hands? The hand with the nasty snake bite on it touched that man and healed him. If Eden had a snake, you might get bitten sometimes too. Number three, don't worry about what people think about you, whether good or bad. Let's worry about the opinion of God. Number four, make some ripples. Be a link in a chain. Don't worry if you don't always see the results. One man plants, another waters, but God makes it grow. God gives the increase. And finally, number five, what about being uh, taken out of your own limitations? Our God can do all things.